Have you seen that video of the Dalai Lama talking about why he doesn't like to go on planes? Is it to do with farting? Yeah. He says um, that he feels self-conscious about farting in planes because he's the Dalai Lama, um, like because he's supposed to be holy, and he likes to really just crack one out whenever he wants. Just go to the loos. Just tell him that unless they really, really smell, if he just pulls his bum cheeks apart... It makes no sound. Hello, my name's Flora Marie. Welcome to the award-winning Real Work podcast. Real Work is my online membership that democratises business learning for women. We create content and community that will improve your confidence, knowledge and network by around 50% in as little as three months. And we know that because we've been measuring the data. The Real Work podcast brings you loose and lively conversations, very lively at times, <laughs> with women who have taken the women's work rule book and ripped it up, and sometimes even used it for hamster bedding. We're here to show you what's possible for you in your own career. So have a good listen and enjoy. Now, let's find out who's coming up on today's episode. This week on The Real Work Podcast, our guest is holistic nutritionist Sally Beaton, who, I was going to say, is on a mission. Everyone's on a mission, aren't they? But she kind of really is. She's um, Her life's purpose, let's say, is to help women fix hormone problems and, and find happiness and return to natural health. She's all about the wisdom of the body, and um, yeah, she's a very vibrant soul. So it's an absolute joy to listen to her this week. Oh my God, I'm gonna have baked beans for tea so I can test that. <laughs> okay, so Sally Beaton, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so lovely to have you here. Holistic nutritionist and um, no relation to Mrs. Beaton. Does everyone ask you that? Mrs. Beaton, the Victorian household. I mean, people Bola. think they're being very quirky and cute when normally as little gifts, I'll normally get a copy of a Mrs. Beaton book. Do you know what that is, Buckers? I bet Buckers doesn't know what that is. I have one on my bookshelf. I've got no idea who or what you're talking about. Mrs. Beaton was an early, um, an early female writer, a woman who wrote a Victorian, she was a Victorian and she wrote a book called something like... Um, the complete guide to household management or something mrs beaton's guide to household management i think I and it's like this and it's about how to um it's about how to discipline your scullery maids how to make a high-sided pie it's how to make a, a 13 bird roast with a you know with a lark's tongue in the middle how to fricassee a lark's tongue early life hacks yeah how to to turn a pig's bladder into a you know, a, a nursery food, that mm. kind of thing. What a resourceful lady. Mm. <laughs> Literally the opposite of me, who is doesn't do those lifestyle hacks, <laughs> you know, so. But anyway, maybe her genes are in there somewhere, who knows? But because you're a writer now. that I'm a plant-based person with a messy house, so. <laughs> who um, is changing a lot of women's lives. Let's talk about the work that you get hired to do. That's what we're here for. Not for the farts, Dalai Lama gags. We're here for how you you changed your life and then you started finding out how other women could... Well, we're in a system, aren't we? We talk a lot... You and I talk a lot about this kind of system that we're in and how it's working against women. And in a way, real work and you share a mission from different angles, which is to support women to thrive within that system. You, you from a physical, from a sort of a physical and a mental health side and us from a work angle. Yeah. Yeah. So no, we are, we are very much aligned in, let's not pretend we're not in a certain type of system with certain yeah. Yeah. need to earn money, um, support our families, things like that. However, let's as women stop getting mentally and physically ill because of it let's stop waiting for a woman to have a breakdown or a big diagnosis before we say okay maybe we need to change the working hours maybe we need to change the emphasis of the week um so yeah i'm just really i'm really really passionate about women working be within the limitations and that's 
that sounds like a negative thing limitations but I always say like I think limitations are brilliant because to be able for a plane to fly and take off the ground you have to understand the weight limit of what that plane can take if you just keep loading and loading and loading into the plane it can't take off so what I want to explain to women is that your hopes your dreams your career your life can take off I have the biggest dreams the biggest aspirations for my life I believe women can have that however if we ignore the weight limits of our mental and physical health we're not going to be able to take off like that and the kind of 80s driven male you just push harder you just get up earlier you just do more 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 are the things that are enabling are, are preventing women from being able to take off in the way that I know that they can and they should be able to amen how did you wake up to this Sally how did what was it like before the way most people wake up to things they have a physical or mental or emotional crisis and mine was physical I had worked in the music industry and then the PR industry for 10-15 years and I always say like I worked as a man I really didn't appreciate highly feminized women who would take days off for their periods and would cry at work all of that stuff shocked me I wanted to be like no no I can be a woman in the workplace and I can go 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 and I can achieve all this and all this and all this because I'd kind of grown up with ladette culture of the way to be a successful woman is to be like a man that was the message I got the 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 business people I admired were all men my bosses were all men and so I smartly figured out I had to be a man with breasts to succeed in my chosen profession and my body decided to create a tumor interestingly within my breast like the feminine a feminine part of your body um and I had to give up work for kind of 18 months I had to stop because I'd I'd the weight I'd put on my body and my mind in terms of what I was taking on work-wise it was too much for me and I could pretend it wasn't I could keep going back to the doctor and getting a new pill for my heavy period so I didn't have to take a day off work or I could get a new pill for my adult acne that I didn't realize was stress or I could ignore the fact I was in a toxic relationship or I could ignore the fact that debt was building up because I was in London and just you know it was costing me more to live than I was bringing in but you can't lie to your body. You can lie to yourself and you can lie to everyone around you and you can say, I'm doing fine, no, I'm doing fine. If I just got to get through these next six months. I've just got to work for this promotion. But your body doesn't work on the same time frame as you. It doesn't care that you just want to get to that sixth promotion, that next promotion in six months. You have a, a certain amount of mental and physical resources. And once you burn through them, that's when you start causing mental or physical disease. And we think these things come out of nowhere. We think, oh my goodness, I did. Oh my goodness, I've got this diagnosis of a breast tumor. I've got to have these two operations and it's just come out of nowhere. Well, no, it came from over a decade of abusing my body physically and mentally, of staying in the atrocious relationship, of staying in the toxic work environment, of drinking heavily, of eating terrible food. So it's the absolute opposite of it coming out of nowhere, which is a very overwhelming but should be the most empowering message we ever get as women it's the majority of the time in our hands whether we yeah if we become ill a lot of the time we can look back and see where it started the body reveals what the mind conceals mm -hmm. exactly that's true for me and my background as well i have to try and not center myself in these conversations because while the other person's speaking i always just think yeah let's dig into my Let's dig into my story. No. Um, when the difficulty in um, that's, you know, that moment of Sartori, that um, enlightenment, mo you know, the moment of um, sudden shift that you experience and that enabled you to return to health and the wisdom of your own body, which I'm glad you went through because I like being your friend. Um it's one thing when we talk about that for ourselves, right? That you just you just said, I did this, I did this, I did that. But when we try and share that message with other women, 
there's it's quite difficult isn't it because of some of those bold things that you just said next saying you know our own health is in our hands because there's a lot of yeah but no but yeah but no you know yeah but it's okay you know because blah blah you might you might not have a mortgage it's okay because you know you might be able to spend um you know you might be able to spend half a day every day growing your own vegetables and eating organic you know but all of those kind of there's so many there's privilege in there there's and even there's a thing about what what sort of spiritual level of development we're at because I hear that message from you now and I've done quite a lot of bit, bit of work, you know, for similar reasons on my own self. But had you said that to me when I was 27 and o- overweight, sad, depressed, drinking with a, a sort of a small beard of acne, um, I wouldn't have been able to hear that. Yeah, no, and, and I probably wouldn't have either. But in a way, I don't feel I'm speaking to 20 year olds. I'm speaking to 30, 40, 50 year old women who I think the the stuff that I teach women about their cycle is important to 20 year olds, but in terms of taking better care of yourself, often that comes later. And what happens normally is, so I understand like most women yeah it could be like oh yeah but you're privileged with this or things like that however most women there's something wrong with them they either have a physical or mental health condition and that symptom is stopping them live a nicer life it's giving them terrible periods or terrible migraines or low energy or low confidence all those things are blocking them be the person they were created to be and do the things they were meant to do. And so it's not about me and them taking inspiration from me. It's looking at their own life and saying that symptom, no matter how minor you've told yourself it is, oh, it's just bad skin. It's just a bit of eczema. That symptom is a signal from your body that something in the way you're living and working is not working for you. And so with most women who first come to me, I do holistic nutrition and coaching with them. But when they first come and they just want that symptom taken away and they're kind of even horrified that they're even spending money on themselves that could be going into their business or could be being spent on their kids. I have to let them see the cumulative effect of all those little symptoms, because it's never normally just the small patch of eczema. When you get talking to them, they say, oh, well, no, you know, a week before my period, I have crippling anxiety, or it's all these things that they've got the message of that's very normal. That's a normal level of rubbishness to accept in your life, or that's a normal level of anxiety, or that's just part of being a woman. And they're absolute lies. And all those small things are creating a life, like I said, that is stopping them living with a health and vibrancy that even if they don't think they're worthy of having or they're worthy of making changes in their life, the trigger point that normally gets most women is you are, if you allow this minimal level of health for you to survive on, you are saying to either your children or the women around you growing up behind you that this is what it is to be a woman you accept this pretty crap version of life where you're the person that takes on the emotional labor, you're the person who sets up a business, you're the person that does more housework, you're the person that does this, and you're the person that allows to have bad skin conditions, bad periods. Like You are saying that's okay if they they also inhabit this life in 10, 20 years. And normally that is the trigger for women to go, yeah, I wouldn't want this life. I wouldn't want this life for my niece or for my child or for my own daughter or for someone else's. It's never about them having more. It's always about, would this be okay for someone you loved? Would you be okay with them having your life? And most women will say, no, actually I wouldn't. I want more for them. And so I have to say, well, I understand you don't want more for you or you don't think you deserve more, but the only way they'll have more is if they see you believe that you deserve more so good to hear and yes certainly in my experience and my women's speaking to women friends you know there's that um carl jung quote the greatest influence on a child is the life unlived by the parent and that resonates so much in the experience of women that um yeah that's the sort of the the baggage that we're left with and making making a change with that 
you know, is a, is a great thing to be doing. How did you, what did, what was it like when you first started working in this way? Tell us when you first like had your first, because you you sit here in front of me now as a, just like a really, you're very sure, you're very sure in what you're doing and you've, you know, you've been doing it. It's been working. I see you living, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk. But when you started out, how, how was it? How, how long did it become, take for you to become like this? Um, do you mean in my business or to me? In your work, in your work, in, in your work, like helping other women, like you're, you're so dynamic with it now. Um, I think I've just, like this can sound really over the top, but like I'm really passionate about women not dying before their time. And like I said, it sounds very over the top, but when I see women in their early 40s get a diagnosis of something I know they started experiencing symptoms for five, 10 years before, I get really, really passionate that I don't want one woman putting up with a hormonal issue that she's been told by the doctor is just part of being a woman, or actually she doesn't want to take half the day off work to go have those scans or things like that. So my kind of confidence and passion comes from a mixture of like an anger at seeing how mistreated women are by the medical profession and how they get kind of palmed off and how things that are pretty serious like mentally or physically they just so oh, well you know it's just you know again like that can be quite normal to have heavy periods like that or it can be quite normal to experience you know this low mood because you're a woman and again, those are signals that they're being given that when one person doesn't take them seriously and they've invested that time, they might not do that again until a big diagnosis. And so for me, the more women I can get to and literally take by the shoulders and say, I know today you don't care about yourself. I know you don't. I've been there. All I cared about was trying to pay the bills, trying to just prove myself to the world. But we don't know that we'll have that time. So let's stop pretending that we, we have 10 years. Let's just start with the foundations of our life and our business, which is our own health. It's a really, really simple foundational brick that if you're getting to midday and you haven't had one glass of water, those foundations are gonna start crumbling. If you're getting to halfway through the week and you're exhausted and you haven't had a good night's sleep for whatever reason, and you haven't asked anyone else to help you, friend, family member, colleague, that's not sustainable. So it's, again, it's just, I, I, I can only say like I got here because of my own failings and my own weaknesses, and then seeing every other woman sharing them and realize that we've had these shared messages of it doesn't matter. What matters is how much money you make. What matters is, having blow dried hair and a new Zara dress to put on Instagram, all that stuff that doesn't matter. And I see women trying to do this and keep up with it whilst their mental and physical health is crumbling. And I'm like, let's do it the other way around. Let's get those foundational pieces in place and then build on top of that. Not let's stop having this veneer of health. Let's have real health. And the veneer of health might look different. So your good skin might not be Instagram worthy skin, but it's definitely not fake. It's skin that's had water and a woman that's eaten some vegetables that day. Um, so yeah, just very passionate about it. You might be able to tell. <laughs> it's um, one of the things, one of the things I like about what you do is how democratic it is, because apart from having one-to-one -one clients and doing groups, you also have a book and you are active on social media and you give away a lot of health and support because what struck me when you were describing the idea of a woman being fobbed off by um, um, a medical professional is that we know from data, don't we, that the more vulnerable the person, so say, for example, if you're older, if you are um, have English as a second language, you know, there's... There's very, there's a very, there's a list that make you more likely to be fobbed off, less likely to get listened to, and the help you need. And I've even 
you know, I've, that's something that I've really started to understand recently, even to do with um, the fact that I'm an outgoing person and that, you know, so I speak confidently, so I'm less likely to get fobbed off in that situation than someone who was shy. There's So being able to do work that affects everyone you you have a you have a lots of different ways of sharing information where so if so so if someone isn't a client they they've got they can buy your book and give it to their neighbor for example yeah i like it was really important to me to have all different price points that someone can yeah. get that information so yeah it was quite interesting in that i had my client work which is obviously more expensive way to work with me and then I wrote the book which is obviously the kind of easier 16 pounds and you get all the information that most of my clients will get and then I wanted to start filling in the thing so I've just done a workshop that's kind of 30 odd pounds and then I did a four-week course which is like 100 odd pounds and it's like wherever you're at I just want to get to you I want to get to you and I want you to have access and that book will be of as value to you as a one-to-one session with me. That's what I say to lots of women when they go to the session. I'm like, read my book first and then let's chat. I don't want women spending money unnecessarily if they don't need to, but I absolutely want them getting this information. Because moving into the in- the industry that you work in, there's, um, yeah, it can get quite goopy, can't it? It can get quite sort of like, um blonde ponytails and hard buttocks and vaginal steaming it can sort of it, it can it can have you seen the latest gwyneth offering on netflix when they've got i mean i've watched about five minutes it's called sex love and goop have you seen that i've added it to my list <laughs> it's just got these couples sort of um rubbing each other's God, how do you say, say this without sounding horrendous? Genitals. And and sort of the, this woman, this woman coaching them to gaze into each other's eyes and saying things like, on a score of one to five, how good does that feel, Jenny? How good does that feel? <laughs> on camera. And it's like, that's a four, that's a four, Jenny. It's very weird. <laughs> I think there's a, a bit lost in translation, but um, yeah, the 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 worried well, you know, there's a whole there's a whole thing around that that we listen, you know, listen. I lived in central London. I was one of those people at Tri Yoga who was like getting a head of steam if the room wasn't heated to the right temperature. You know, I was that person. So I mean, I I know all about it, and I, you know, I, I I'm scornful of it because I also am very attracted to it. That whole thing, but there's that. And then there's hard science. And one of the things that makes you different is that you sort of stand astride those two worlds because you do care about um, um, evidence, medical evidence, and sort of trying to weave that into the story as well. Mm. Yeah, because I know a lot of the women that listen to me or like might take some of my information, might go to their doctor. And if their doctor says, well, you know, I haven't heard lavender over a vaginal steam is going to cure your period, then then they get laughed out again. So it's important for me that women get information that they feel they can speak to their doctor. And I even have a lot of doctors following me who will say, oh, thank you so much. Like doctors who've learned about their female cycle through me who are now helping women with depressions or hormonal issues because their training is very male um, focused on the male body so it's it's kind of yeah like I said it's important to me that yes I can speak to anyone but that science doesn't scare women because that's just another industry that's just another industry that has their own version of vaginal steaming of what's going to cure that as some as the goopy stuff and it's yeah. like, let's look at these both because normally there's truths in both and there's help in both and different horses for different courses. Some women really, really love the alternative route and some women really, really love the traditional route. And I want them to feel confident in getting the help and having like medical consent is really important to me. So the idea of even if you're taking a pill or having a procedure that you understand what that does to your body before you have it, be that 
a contraception or an antidepressant or something like that because too many women get told have this do this this is the thing that will help it and then they get a side effect or it doesn't work and they again think it's their bodies or they get told that it's their bodies oh okay well this has come up so you just need to take this pill not knowing that actually that was a very common side effect of the thing that had they known and it would have come up it would have worried them less they would have seen their doctor sooner so yeah like I said I I love all the alternative stuff like you I'm very attracted to it some of it but I'm also I think science is amazing as well and I'm like it's interesting to see them both as two worlds and structures with their own unique problems so for example I did um um a nursing degree a long time ago I didn't finish it but I always have to say that because I, I left in the last year so I have to otherwise people think I'm a nurse although obviously in my mind if, you know if there's any other kind of road traffic accident I'm ready to go I've seen I've seen ambulance you know all those programs I've watched all of those so um, I'm ready to jump in anyway one of the things that I really found extremely problematic about life in a hospital I worked at St Thomas's um, one of the things I observed, which was a big factor in me not becoming an actual nurse, was the drug chart system of adding and not taking away because of um, lighted, you know, the growth in you know litigious behaviour and responsibility. So the fact that doctors would be on a shift. And so they'd come and look after Mrs. Jones. They'd be responsible for Mrs. Jones for eight hours. And then they'd be going home to play golf or doing whatever they're going to do. And they don't want to take any medicines off the list because they're responsible for it then. If something then happens to Mrs. Jones while they're on the golf course. And so then they add to the list and any doctor here will probably say, Oh, that's ridiculous. You know, we make it all, you know, we, you know, we, Every decision is made in a more sophisticated way than that. And, you know, according to the, that's what I saw. I just saw that a patient would come in um, and they couldn't sleep or they had pains. So they'd be given codeine and then they get bunged up by the codeine and then they'd be given a laxative and then the laxative will give them a headache. Then they get a headache and it just goes on and on. And so they just add to the list instead of taking them all away and saying, well, why was this person bunged up in the first place? Because they had pain medication Well, they and and that was that was my problem. Like the 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 it felt like um, there's a kind of a, a, a tr you on a travelator at an airport that once you start that there's a cascade of consequences. And when I had my kid, I really looked into um, you know I was felt very strong that I wanted to have natural childbirth with as little intervention as possible. And so I started looking at the medical you know the data behind that stuff and there's a there's strong indications that as soon as a birth becomes medicalized you know there's a cascade you know it increases the chance of the next thing happening it increases the chance of cesarean and then it increases the chance of mrsa increases the chance and it's just like by proportion those things sort of lead on to each other and the lovely thing that i like about your work is it's about sort of extracting ourselves from systems and getting and and returning to the body's natural intelligence yeah, like my, my kind of focus is on a woman finding ways to heal what's wrong with her body, not suppress a symptom. And that's the yeah. thing we're not told. We're told that symptom suppression is healing. And a lot of the pharmaceuticals we get, which I'd had for 10 years before I got seriously ill, I didn't realize they were symptom suppressors. I thought they were healing me. And so what happened yeah. is, is that one symptom was suppressed. It popped up in another area of my body in a different way because it was about my whole body being inflamed, screaming out for help. And that inflammation showing up for six months in my skin, for another six months in my womb, for another six months in my headaches. And so, like I said, I thought it was all these... We're kind of, I always say it's like a kind of butcher's chart. We're carved up. Oh, you've got a head problem. Yeah. Here's a pill for the head problem. You've got period problems. Here is a pill for that. And it sounds so crazy, but when I worked out that the whole body was connected and then my womb problem was connected to my head problem, was connected to whatever that song is, connected to your thigh bone. Um, Hear the word of the Lord. I'm like, like we have to heal the body. And so it's really interesting when women come to me and they come with their issue or their symptom or mm. their diagnosis and they think we're going to spend an hour just talking about that symptom, that diagnosis. And when we start talking about their whole life, 
and their whole body and their whole how they feel rather than just this one symptom they kind of it 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 unnerves them because they're like wait a minute I'm here to talk about my PCOS and I'm like yeah I know that's fine that's your sticker that's your that's your that's your diagnosis but that diagnosis is not the thing that's wrong that's the area of your body that you're getting the symptom we need to heal your overall body and normally that means healing your life instead of focusing on your body as well so there's a doctor in America called Dr Cassie Huckabee who I really really love and she says your life is your medicine and it's those things that you can be doing in your life because again I can I do holistic nutrition so of course I look at a diet but women come to me and they want the normal pharmaceutical model so they want okay just tell me what supplements I need to take because yeah that's no different to the pharmaceutical model because it's just it's what they call green allopathy so it's just like the green version of it it's herbs instead of pharmaceuticals but if that is the focus, instead of going, can we just talk about you not getting any support with your three kids? Can we just talk about that toxic work environment and that stress that's causing your body, which is causing the inflammation, which is causing these symptoms on your skin or wherever they're appearing. And when we get that holistic view, that kind of zoom out view, a woman herself realizes why she's ill instead of coming to me or a doctor and going, I have no idea because they don't, they don't get the chance to talk about their life. And when they can see how unwell and how unhealthy their whole life is, then they start to get the realization of why their body is reacting in the way it does. And that can be really empowering. Although although it, it can be really empowering if that's where you are, if you're ready to embrace that challenge. But if we're not, and what is it the doctors always say when you ask them, because they don't, they don't want, they say, it's just bad luck. They say, I've got, why am I, why am I ovaries going wrong? It's just bad luck. You know, it just happens sometimes. You just, it just happens sometimes. It's just bad luck. People just get this. It's just bad luck. Um, sometimes it's easier to think that we've been unlucky because then we can stay in, we can stay in that place of being a patient and a victim. And I, you know, I say that from, yeah, again, from experience, like Jesus, it's, it's so hard for me. It's so hard for me because I've got this thing and then I've got this other thing and it's like, I've got the extra bad kind. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, doctors are wrong to say that because most disease over 95% has been quantified is to do with personal health and lifestyle choices, not genetics, not bad luck. There's still a small percentage that can be those things, but the majority of the things that happen to us are a direct result of our thoughts, our diets, our lifestyles. And so we can see that as very overwhelming of like, okay, well, if I have, if I have no energy and I already feel terrible and you're telling me, well, it's my fault and my whole life and that, but that's not the thing is you go within your energy. What can you do? That's yeah. That's why your approach is so great. Cause mine, I, I take, I'm more extreme. I, I'd say change everything. Get rid of that husband. He's not very nice to you, and um, that's not realistic for people. It depends. It depends where they're at when they come to me. So it's the difference between someone coming, someone limping into a hospital who's twisted their ankle, and someone with five gunshot wounds. I have women with the emotional and physical equivalent of those gunshot wounds who come in. So if I was like, okay, we need to get you home cooking. We need to get you earning more money, doing your passions, doing your hobbies, doing some self-care, like they've got, they're bleeding these gunshot wounds, you know? Yeah. So then we start and we say, can we do half an hour earlier to bed and one extra glass of water instead of that fifth coffee? We just start there because it's about a lot of women just getting their foothold back on that ledge that they're literally ready to fall off um so yeah look I always say there are those coaches that the kind of boot camp coaches that for some women are perfect that doesn't work for me and so that's not what I do for my clients because I don't want to get screamed at to change everything I like a plan of seeing how my life could be better and I like to be I think most women are missing being nurtured and loved themselves 
So that's what I want for myself. And that's what I want for other women. I want them to be nurtured to a place of health, not screamed at or what a disappointment they are because they only have microwavable burgers instead of a home cooked lentil shepherd's pie. Dehydrated, a dehydrated vegan crisp. <laughs> <laughs> I went through a period of dehydrating. I've been on that thing as yes, well. I've been All there of the too. things. I've been there too. And then I'm like, I don't want this thing taking up half of the kitchen ledge when only one looks, two months do and I. It looks like um, it looks like a hamster. Yeah. Why would you want to dehydrate your food? What's that? Is that healthy? It's a raw, it's part of the raw food movement was like, um, you shouldn't cook anything. You should just, so you don't chop up a load of veg, make it into a burger shape and then dehydrate it. So basically warm it up for two days until it was chewy instead of cooking it. Like dry cured vegetables. Like vegetable biltong. I always did fruit. So like for, for snacks, so kind of, dehydrated apple and things like that and then I just realized you know what stuff that if nature had wanted me to have a dehydrated apple I'd live in Cyprus and there'd be them on this I'm just gonna (laughs) eat an apple well and that but it's that that's a that's a movement that's been that's a diet fad that's been discredited and eating a whole you know eating whole foods you know there's a lot of admin involved there is yeah but that the apparatus and all that kind of stuff that's you know that's appealing when we want to um we don't want to address because the stuff addressing ourselves and our own habits and who we spend time with and not reading the daily mail and not you know getting up in the morning and staying up late and drinking coffee at 11 o'clock whatever that's the hard stuff (laughs) that's a lot harder you know it's easy to just go out to john lewis and buy all the equipment it's harder to actually just make those small changes and you know do more self-care yeah, and we've been told that the biggest changes are kind of external. You know, like I said, we've been told yeah. illness, you get the yeah. external pill. If, you know, like I said, the amount of DMs I get for a woman going, I'm going through the perimenopause, what what supplement should I take? And I'm just like, do you know what the perimenopause is? I would need to know about your life. Supplements are not, you might need none. You might need a hundred. You know, like it's just, it's that idea of- I might be a nun. Give you might not even be in the perimenopause, which is the thing of loads of women. Like they're not even in the perimenopause. It's just, they've read the article and yeah. So we, we want the external thing, but it's, it's such a temporary change. It can have a placebo effect, which is a real effect and which can help you. But um, yeah, slower internal stuff is always going to be, it's just, yeah, it will, it will give you longer lasting health. And um, where's God in all of this? We're on the subject of nuns now. Was it you? It was you that I tested, didn't I? I said, oh, years ago, I wanted to be a nun. Yeah, I've, I've always sensed that about you. There's, there's something very... Um, you've had your run-in with Jesus. What well, happened? I went, con- I went to a convent school. So I had, I had like... An, they can an- get nasty. Was it a nasty one? No, it wasn't. But if you knew the nuns at that school, they were very kind of, um, they were kindly women. Vocal? They sing at all? The upside of nuns is when they sing, I always think. No, they more just kind of like, it, it more seemed like a waiting room for heaven for them. They just kind of God's waiting room. All and yeah, so <laughs> it felt like that. But you know, <laughs> I was someone who I loved fashion, I loved colour, I loved sequins, I was like... Leg warmers. Leg warmers. I, yeah, I wanted to go to fame. I wanted to be at the fame school, I wanted to be at a performing arts school, and I was at a convent school where we had to wear calf-length grey skirts and had brown indoor shoes and black outdoor shoes. It was, it was not who I wanted to be, but after kind of 10 years of hard partying in London, if I didn't have a husband and one you're ready to go back in the wimple i'm just ready you know like again the idea of i could i could just could just do with some time in a nunnery just on my own maybe in spain but i don't like getting up really early i don't like cold things yes it's the cold that's what always puts me off i just think i like the uniform i was gonna say it did say sounds a bit like your wardrobe thank <laughs> kind of is I like the uniform. I like the sort of minimalism um, and the silence. And I like um, church music. But yeah, the, the heating, not having central heating. 
That's the, that's the deal breaker for me. Someone deciding on my meal times. You know, there's so much. I, I like peacefulness and quietness. And really, that's about it. The, the other elements of being a nun. I like, you know, I like the idea of good intentions for other people, healing thoughts, things like that. But day to day, it's not going to work out. I mean, I've got a pink neon sign behind me in leopard print. So it would be like Bet Lynch turning up to the nunnery, wouldn't it? And Also, um, to, be contra- <laughs> to be controversial, I'm not sure that, um, you know, w- wishing for the best for um is that's not the big part of their day <laughs> I mean, i'm just putting it out there i know i mean go, we'll go around the globe yeah what country not, yeah. wish you the best <laughs> i don't think they're a little bit more judgy than that in my experience <laughs> from all my girlfriends who ended up yeah wherever they ended up after being on the sharp end of a nun <laughs> you just don't want to be on it but um God in a um in a non-Christian way does come into this conversation though because um what you we're also talking about the mind body soul kind of connection aren't we in in the idea that what we've described as the problem the systems and our response to um systems is about our thoughts it's about you know our mind and getting out of the way of our thoughts and getting back into nature and just being part of um, creation instead of worrying about status and the things you were talking about earlier on. That's part of the cure, isn't it? That's what I call God. That's like it's a God cure. The natural wisdom of our bodies as an you know as an animal, like returning, returning to that. Yes. Yeah, so there's there's two parts of that in the. Yes, it's definitely about getting back into nature, understanding our rhythms, our cycles, yes, yes. the world of our bodies and how nature gives us so many cues and also gives us so many healing um, modalities. The other part of that is also understanding, which has gone, it is the power of our thoughts. So it's not necessarily about getting out of our thoughts, but actually understanding the thought process. So the part that lots of people are missing on their healing journey is the idea that your thoughts have any control over your body. So that sounds very woo-woo. That sounds kind of um, like false hope almost. But incredible, incredible medical studies have been done on visualization and how that affects your body. So two two of the ones that I love are one with... um, one, a group of women going through breast cancer treatment, and they all had the same amount of chemotherapy. Half the group was asked to visualize their own immune systems becoming kind of strong, powerful Pac-Men and eating the cancer cells. And they were asked to do this visualization repeatedly through the course of their treatment. Every single one of those women who were split into the visualization group had a higher immune response than the women who didn't do the visualization. They had better, um, yeah, they had a a higher success rate of the overall treatment of their bodies overcoming um, breast cancer. And the second one, uh, there's been loads and loads and loads that have done, but the second one to show the power of your thought of when, again, when you get that diagnosis or when you get told, like they've they've even shown that how you get told a diagnosis or told about an illness will affect how you cope with it. And and that's the really interesting thing about the last 18 months, because a lot of people, had they been told it's a cold, it's a flu virus, and not have watched 18 months of people in hospital on ventilators, some of those outcomes will have been different because I've had people ring me in a panic because they've had a positive test. And when we actually get down to their symptoms, they're very similar symptoms to the flu or virus they've had the year before but because they've had all this panic they're almost saying my you know is my body going to get worse is this thing going to get worse and once you can kind of calm the mind and understand your body's abilities the heat that the healing potential can often increase and it was shown in a study in new york when um, a group of people who had very very severe asthma were put in this study and they said, we're gonna give you an inhaler. Now in this inhaler was actually just a saline solution. So absolutely like nothing. And 
they said to everyone in the um, trial, they said, okay, take, we want you to take this solution. This is going to constrict your airways. Don't panic, you know, we'll look after you, whatever happens. They were just told this is going to constrict your airways. Over a quarter of that group started having a severe asthma attack. There was nothing physical that could have brought on that asthma attack other than being told when you take this thing, it's going to constrict your airways. They immediately gave everyone a second inhaler with exactly the same thing in it and said, this is the antidote to the first inhaler we gave you. Every single one of those people who was having the kind of big asthma attack, their asthma attack stopped. And they've shown the power of the instruction of the mind to the body. And we forget that. Again, it sounds very woo-woo, it sounds, but that the science is there to show that you can give your body certain instructions of increasing your immune response, of calming it down or ramping it up, of even having an opioid effect by saying, okay, I'm taking this, it can be a very a placebo pill and this is gonna calm this pain I'm having and that instruction will have that effect on your body. So, so yes, the thought process of getting out of our thoughts, but actually getting into them in the proper way of realizing the power and the direction we can give them instead of just seeing them as women as this like runaway train that just has no effect on our lives or our bodies. And also um, what what we consume, what we give our attention to. Mm. That whole thing. You yeah, so know, I was thinking about um, when I said getting out of the way of our thoughts, that thing. Um, do you do you um, do you listen to Sad Guru's podcast? Do you know who he is? He's a yoga guy who with a motorbike who um, is slightly fancy. He's got a very long beard. And um, he's a flamboyant character. He's quite a controversial character. I do know who you mean. He's, I follow um, him on Instagram, but I don't listen yeah. to the podcast. I don't have he's, time after listening to the Real Work podcast. I mean, <laughs> yes, Sally. And he talks about the difference between he talks about the difference between um, like um, believing in your mind, in your thoughts, and knowing in your body. So, for example, your body knows when it looks at an apple that that's food and then that's good for you. And that's different from believing it is because you've been told that or instructed and trying to get out of the way of the... So an example in my life of that is how I had an eating disorder in my 20s. So I've had a real... I've had a horrible sort of dieters relationship with food. You know, I grew up in the 80s, you know, leg warmers, Jane Fonda, this diet, that diet, fat-free, whatever. And um, parenting a kid... It's been so healing because of observing how the, the natural wisdom of her body. I've I made a decision to completely stay out of her food. She's completely she she decides when to eat and what to eat, and I just make foods available. And watching how she doesn't think about it and she just lets her kind of body eat what it needs has been so fascinating and helped me to get out of the way of like my thoughts of like, Oh, I have to have three meals. I have to do this. Like the natural wisdom of just knowing what is right. Yeah. Knowing what is right instead of thinking what is right, because that's what we all are at the beginning. Yeah. That's what we all are because people, people say, are you going to let her eat that? Are you going to let her eat? Are you going to let her eat that? And I'd say, well, for, she knows more about, how to eat than I do by a million miles. I'm the I'm the last person in the world who should give advice on food. I didn't know, you know, I haven't nourished my body properly since I was, you know, for years. And it's only recently that through her, you know, she's teaching me about it just by being. She's she's healing my relationship with food. It's it's kind of the other way around, and that's yeah about knowing, about knowing, not sort of thinking or deciding about what we know in ourselves and there's so much we can learn from kids in terms of their movement you know how they move their bodies they don't think oh, i'm going to run around because i need to burn some calories exactly off. they, they just, just she just starts moving it she'll be um watching something on her ipad and then i'll turn around and she'll be upside down on the chair with her legs over the back of the chair like watching it upside down or something yeah and that that like i said that what we can learn from kids in terms of even their belief so you know, often if a kid like scrapes their knee or things like that, they don't keep looking at being like, 
what if it doesn't heal? What if it doesn't heal? What if it doesn't heal? They're just kind of, they're used to that scrape, get up, the healing cream, whatever's used. And they just trust that their body's going to heal. And we always say like, why is it we trust those things on the outside of our body that they can and they will heal? And we've seen it done a thousand times. But when it's something we can't see inside our body, suddenly we think it's a different organism. And we're like, yeah, but if I can't see it, then it won't heal. It won't heal without this intervention. It won't heal without that thing. And we've lost that actual childlike trust that our body is on our side. And every day there is healing, there is repair, there is regeneration. All it wants to do is heal, keep you alive in the same way of that cut on the outside of your skin. Everything gets sent to that area to heal it. And that's, that is what happens on the inside of our bodies if we don't keep bombarding them with all the other stuff that it's, you know, has to try and cope with. Buckers, we're overdue an Eckhart Toller quote, aren't we? I think we are. We haven't had one for two episodes or three. I love that stuff. She hates it. What have you got for us today? I torture her with it. You do it in his voice as well. I'm hoping you do. I think if I try and impersonate him, if I try and sound like him, it's going to sound like I'm making fun of him. He, But what you're describing of like a, a, knee, a wound healing on a child's knee, for example, is reminds me of when he says... Um, Life is the dance. Um, life is the dance when you are the dance. Speaking of which, our little dancers return, so that um, hastens an end. Hello, my love. Can we go Have I been too long? You want to go around the block, go outside? Fantastic. I'll be just two minutes, my darling. All right. Two minutes. It's a perfect example. Perfect example. I'm like, yeah. Couldn't have actually primed her more. She's been watching TV in and has just time. said, right, I'm ready to go outside now. I want to go outside now. Want to go outside now. Yeah. And if we, if we didn't have this like factory yeah. working idea of you start yeah. clock in, clock out of this, time, our body would naturally come to that point in our day and go, I need some fresh air, and I need a handstand. She's up. like, ready. She's like, ready. Let's do it. Love it. Should we yeah. go? Do you want to come and say hello to Buckers and Sally? No, she's. Fair enough. It's been an absolute pleasure. We, I, I'm, I'm wary that we've um, quoted a lot of um, medical science, and I wonder if we might put some in the show notes, Buckers. Yes. And um, if people want to find out more, what should they do? They can go to my website, womenwithsparkle.com. They can sign up for my newsletter. They can buy my book there. They can follow me on Instagram at Women with Sparkle and I will help you with your hormones, health or happiness in some way. Thank you so much for being our guest. It's been an absolute joy as always. Thanks for having me. Goodbye. Bye. That's it for today's episode of the Real Work Podcast. Thank you for being with us. This is the part where we remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And Buckers will probably tell me off if I don't ask you to please rate and review on Apple Podcasts because apparently when you do that, our content reaches more listeners. If you're curious about Real Work, the online membership Improving Women's Confidence Knowledge and Network, head to our website, doreal.work, and sign up for our super newsletter, The Real Worker. All the details that you need to connect with us in any way, you'll find in the show notes. 